Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Brian Hallam. I pray that this message is a blessing to you. Thank you for downloading it, and thank you for following me on Twitter and Instagram and for liking and sharing what we post there. I just want you to know that I believe God wants to do something great in your life and in your family. So as we go into the Word today, let's go in with faith and hope and a high level of expectation for what God is going to do in your life. Praise the Lord in His holy house. Somebody just say amen. Amen. When you say amen, what you're saying is, I agree and let it be. That's what that means. So when you finish a prayer, you're saying, I agree and let it be. God, would you bless our food in Jesus' name? Amen. I agree and let it be. When, when you're, in, when you're uh, at church and somebody says something that, you know, uh, lights in your spirit or you agree with it, you know, when you say amen, you're saying, I agree with that and let it be. And it's very important because I want us to talk this morning about maybe a myth that needs to be debunked. Do y'all remember the show Mythbusters? Did anybody ever see that? That was a really cool show. They used to, you know, prove myths to be true or, or not true. And uh, there's a myth out there that I think is, is, it probably is said with good intentions. And most of the time it's said to try to really help people uh, in different situations. But, but it's, not, it's not accurate. It's not true. And I'm pretty sure you've heard it. If if you've heard it, help me say it. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's just not true. Because if that was true, then words can't help you. You see what I'm saying? Words can go either direction. And words have the power to destroy or the power to build. They have the power to aid or the power to harm They have the power to build you up in faith or increase the doubt and unbelief in your life. If words were not powerful, we wouldn't use them in writing contracts. If words were not powerful, we wouldn't use them uh, as we stand before God and before our, 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 our friends and family and declare our unfailing love for our spouse when we get married. We wouldn't, we wouldn't use words if they didn't have any power. Words are the most powerful thing that you have on the planet. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God created heaven and earth and everything that we see and the bulk of everything that he created, he just spoke it into existence. In other words, there was a void of something For instance, light, and God said, let there be light, and it was. Words are the most powerful building blocks in our life, and when we begin to strategically, systematically utilize our words, we begin to see that we can actually build the life that God has called us to live and makes makes available to you and me with the power of our words. Somebody say amen to that. Open your Bible to the book of James, and I want to give you forewarning. I'm an incredible preacher. But today, I'm going to just take a, a few minutes, and I'm, I'm really going to teach. Because what I, want, what I want to share today, it's the kind of stuff that will absolutely change your life. Somebody say amen to that. If you're watching online, I just wanted to say, it means the world to us that you do. 
People watch all over the world New Heights Church both live and then later in the week. And it means a lot to us that you would spend your time and we hope you receive something. Also, if you're ever in Texas in the Bryan College Station area, we'd like to invite you to come to our, one of our services live. I promise we'll make you feel right at home. Praise the Lord. Open your Bible to James chapter 3. Now, James is very important because James is Jesus' little brother. James is Jesus' little brother. James is the son of Joseph and Mary. So James spent more time with Jesus than any of the other authors in our Bible. There's a high probability that Jesus changed some of James' diapers. He was a big brother to James. He saw him when he was a boy. He saw him as he grew up, and he still committed his life to him. So it's a very powerful thing when you read out of the book of James, you're reading for somebody who had a very significant firsthand account of living daily life with Jesus. James said this. He said, my brethren, chapter 3, verse 1, my brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Your Bible, one translation says, not many people should become teachers because you'll be judged more strictly. James is saying, don't be too eager to become a teacher too soon because when you teach the Word of God, you are held to a higher standard. Does that make sense? The reason this is important is because when I stand up here and teach, just like I just greeted the the online crowd, this is going to go all over the world. Hundreds of people are here now, and as the Word of God is taught, if it is taught inaccurately, it can have an exponential effect on people's life. That's why uh, ministers and teachers of the gospel are held to a higher standard. That's why it's so imperative that you don't get too eager and outrun the timing of God in your life for the calling of God on your life. Because oftentimes, the calling and the gift on the inside of you can do something that your character is not capable to sustain. Your gift can make room for you, but you're not, your, your character is not ready to get you there. The only thing I've ever known I was going to do was pastor a church. Now, my wife and I have several businesses and ventures and, and things, and we do, a, we do a lot of other things too, but who I am, I am a pastor at heart, called by God, and I thank God for that, and I don't have a memory in my life when I did not know that. So even as a child, I knew that was what I was going to do and be, and, and I felt like I was already that before I was doing it, but in the process of time, I remember as a teenager thinking, well, maybe when I'm 18, that's when I'll begin to do what God called me to do. Maybe when I'm 20, maybe when I'm 22, and it, it, it wouldn't have happened yet, and we prayed, and it, wasn't, it just didn't feel like the right time. And finally, at 30 years old, God called us over to Bryan College Station uh, to begin uh, New Heights Church, and I thank God for everything He's doing here. But I, I look back now, and I'm very thankful because if I, had, if I had started pastoring at 22, I would have really hurt some people. Because there were some things that God was still chipping off of my life, and it just wasn't the right time. That God put some, some men and women of God in my life that helped me knock off some of the rough edges. 
that, that help me understand that, that grace is what Jesus brings to each one of us. That help me understand that the Bible is not a sledgehammer used to smash people with. The Bible is actually where we find a safety net of hope and compassion. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he doesn't ask us to try to be the way, the truth, and the life. So there was a lot of things that God would just, uh, the right person, because my whole life I've just been uh, neck deep in the Word of God, and I thank God for that, and I just, I, I like to study the Word, so it's a very natural thing for me to do, but that love and compassion, it took years to, to have the right person, the right encounter, to, to have something happen that, that changed me. So what I'm saying is, just because it's not now, that doesn't mean the answer is no. Sometimes delay is the best thing God could do for you because by the time it actually comes to pass, you need to be ready to do what he's called you to do and not just eager to do it. Does that make sense? So James is saying, don't be too quick to become a teacher because you're going to be held to that. So if somebody asks you a question about the Lord, about the Bible, about church or anything else, and you don't know the answer... It is perfectly okay, and you are not less than, to say, I don't know the answer to that question. Matter of fact, that sets you free because now if the person really wants to know the answer, now you guys can pursue the answer together through biblical uh, study, prayer, resources, whatever. Uh, uh, But at the end of the day, you don't want to just go spouting off something that you heard because you will be held to a higher standard if you're sharing it as if it's the Word of God. I, I highly, highly recommend that you be very reverent when and if you choose to use terminology like this. God told me to tell you blank. Okay? Because what you just said, what you just said, it's saying the creator of heaven and earth just downloaded in you something to say to somebody else. Does this happen? Absolutely it happens. But what I'm saying is be exceptionally reverent of that and I would say hesitant to speak like that. Because what happens is that's a trump card. If that person trusts you, that is a trump card that you're throwing on the table that says you can't doubt what I'm about to say because I'm telling you God said it. And if you, if, you, if you believe me, now you're saying that if it's not true, you're calling God a liar. It's a trump card. And you don't, the, the word of God is true without you saying thus saith the Lord. So if God is going to make something come to pass you sincerely believe God said that to you, you can throw it out there. You know, I believe this is going to come to pass. And then when it comes to pass, now what you said will be validated as opposed to you forcing somebody to believe you rather than believing the Word of God itself. Does that make sense? Because when you're a teacher, you're held to a higher standard. So if, if, if that's the case, we got to be cautious about how we throw around That type of terminology. Somebody say amen to that. Verse number two. For in many things we offend everybody. And if any man offends not in word. If somebody doesn't offend with their mouth. The same as a perfect person. Or a very mature person. One translation says. And also if you can control what you say. You're able to bridle your entire body. 
Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm or a very small rudder wherever the governor or the captain of the boat listeth or wherever the captain wants to go, they turn the rudder and the winds may be contrary, but the rudder of the vessel dictates where the boat ends up. Somebody say amen to that. So what he's saying is if you can control your mouth, if you can control what you say, then you can literally control the rest of your body. You can control the rest of your atmosphere, the rest of your life, if you can just control what you say. When I grew up, uh, we, we used to watch this movie. I saw it a few times. It was called The Man from Snowy River. Has anybody ever seen The Man from Snowy River? It's a pretty good show. There was a cowboy... Uh, an Australian cowboy. I don't remember what they call Australian cowboys, but there was an Australian cowboy. And he would go and he would get these horses that were wild. Does anybody remember what they called the wild horses? Brumbies. Oh my gosh, this was Australia. They were down there. And it was just an interesting thing. But here we call them Mustangs. So it was Brumbies down there, Mustangs up here, and they were beautiful, and they would run wild and crazy. But the thing was, the horse might be beautiful and powerful running in the wild, but it had no usable value. The only way that horse became valuable was somebody had to put a bit in its mouth so it could be used to carry a wagon or whatever they did back then. Now, nowadays, we just go buy another car. But down there, they had to have horses in that time of life. So what he's saying is, you put a piece of metal, a bit in a horse's mouth, and the horse goes from just being something great to look at to now being something that can be used. In my Christian walk, I don't want to just look the part. I don't want to just have the right words memorized. I don't want to just have the right salutation memorized. I don't want to have just the right greeting memorized. I don't want to just, I don't want to just look like a Christian. I want to see the hand of God move through my life. And the Bible says if you can control your tongue, if you can control what you say, you can control the rest of your life. See, words are the most powerful thing that God gave us, yet we use them very haphazardly. If you're with me, just say, I'm here. We use them very haphazardly. Nobody in Christ was called to be a thermometer. A thermometer does nothing but tell you what the current atmosphere or the current temperature is. You were each called to be a thermostat. A thermostat, you can go look at the wall, uh, the one on the wall at your house, and you look, and it'll tell you what the current condition is. But then you have an option. You can either dial it up or you can dial it down. In other words, a thermostat doesn't just recognize what's going on. A thermostat takes responsibility to change the atmosphere. A Christian was never called to just be a thermometer. Any old dumb rock can be a thermometer. You know, they used to sell weather rocks. And the weather rock, if it was wet, it was raining. If it's hot, it's sunny. If it's sunny and wet, don't touch it. That means there's a dog nearby. But any old dumb rock can tell you what's going on. But you have been called to be 
an atmosphere adjuster, not just an atmosphere endurer. It's a very different shift. It changes not one facet of your life, but quite literally will change every facet of your life. And that's why Jesus' brother was so specific about it. He didn't say the winds will never blow contrary to the direction you want to go. He said the winds won't dictate where you go if you'll keep your rudder pointed in the right direction. He didn't say that a horse can't run crazy. He said that if you can control the horse's mouth, you can control the rest of the horse. It is a completely different process where you begin to shift how you talk and you quite literally begin to see your life change before your very eyes. This is not just a psychological event. This is not just, you know, uh, thinking one way and that becomes the case. This is the word of the living God. When we begin to change what we say, we begin to change what we see. The Bible says Abraham received a word from God that his descendants would be as much as the sands of the sands of the desert and as much as the stars of the sky. And he would walk around and he would say, my descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And he had never had one child. He wasn't discussing what he could see. He wasn't discussing what he had experienced. He was discussing what he wanted. See, when you talk and you make a declaration or you pray, the reason God put amen at the end of it is so that we would learn that what we pray needs to be in line with his word because what we're saying is, I agree, let it be. In other words, that's exactly how I want it to be. So if you pray and you can't say that's exactly how I want it to be, I want you to change what you're praying. If your conversation Both the monologue and the dialogue. Many of us have monologue and dialogue with nobody else in the room. (laughs) The monologue and the dialogue ought always to be able to end with that's exactly how I would like it to be. Changing what you say changes your entire life. I'm going to give you a few examples that are very that are very easy to use because I feel like we have enough ought to and sometimes we just need some how to. Does that make sense? We all know we should do better or try harder or whatever. Sometimes we just know, okay, how does the rubber actually meet the road? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. If you're raising children, okay, who in here has kids? Just lift one hand. All right, I have three uh, and... You know, they never leave their clothes out. They always clean the dishes. They always make their bed. They're just, yeah, right. Uh. But you have kids, okay? And you got to raise them. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody say, that's me. So we're going to raise our kids. We're going to help them. We're going to discipline them. But when they do something that needs to be corrected, I'm going to show you two different ways, potential ways to do it. It'll just be a... Uh, a very high elevation example. Your kid just accidentally throws a, uh, throws a rock through a window or something. Hey, little Johnny, you're always doing wrong. Why are you always doing wrong? You just keep messing up. I can't believe why you do that. Go to your room. What you did is you just prophesied that you're, all, you're calling things that are not as though they were. You're, you're saying... You're, 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 you're putting words on that child 
that will stick. And nobody's, nobody's here mad at anybody to do it. We're all doing the best we can when it comes to raising kids. But I want to I tell you a different way. A different way. Little Johnny throws the rock through the window. Little Johnny, that's not you. That's not how you act. That's, that's, not, that's, not, how, that's not how you act. You, you know better than that. Now you're not telling them that they are less than. You're pulling the greater out of them while still disciplining them. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to put them under something. We're trying to pull them out from under something. Because even when we, when we correct our children, we're very strategic about it because we're not doing it because we're upset. We're doing it because we are strategically raising our children. If you, if you, can't, if you can't, in that moment, discipline your child for the child's benefit, then don't do it right then. Take some time. Take a minute. Take whatever you need to do, but if, if you're just feeding that anger or frustration that's coming in the moment because they broke the glass and the glass is going to cost 50 bucks and now i got to go get it and all this other, whatever it is. If you're just feeding that frustration, then that's whenever those, uh, uh, those comments that will point the ship in a different direction begin to come out and our words are the most powerful thing that we have. That's one example when it comes to raising children. When it comes to uh, yourself, don't ever say, I'm so stupid, I always blankety-blank-blank, whatever it is. When you hit your, your, your knee on the side of the couch and you bruise your knee for the 10,000th time, don't say, I'm always so clumsy, I always hit my leg, I always have a problem. No. You can say, oh my goodness, thank God that didn't break my knee. I tell you what, I'm sure-footed. I don't walk around and kick myself all the time. This is the last time that'll happen. And then if it happens again, you don't change your confession because what you see, you continue to, and we'll get there in a minute, but hold fast to your confession of faith. You say, well, you're taking it too far. Christianity is all in or nothing. Jesus didn't hang on the cross till he was almost dead. He hung on the cross till he was completely dead, descended into the depths of hell. Bible, the Bible says led captivity captive. The Bible says then three days later uh, rose from the grave, 40 days later ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, constantly making intercession for you and for me. So the thing is, you can go to heaven just by confessing Jesus, but your life can be so much more abundant if you begin to follow after what God's Word says. And one of the strongest things in God's word is dictating how you determine the rudder or your mouth to act will determine the direction that the ship or the vessel of your life actually goes. So never say, I'm so stupid, I'm so clumsy, only luck I ever had. If it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have luck. You know, you don't, don't go around talking like that. If you're with me, just say, I'm here. I know it's usually different on a Sunday morning, but, but I, I, this is the kind of stuff that if you'll apply it to your life, and I'm going to give you a confession before we leave today, I'm going to give you a confession that I, that I want you to use every single day as a starting point where you begin to get really good at confessing the things of God over your life instead of just what the world says. Because you have to be very strategic about it or you won't do it. 
So uh, literally, we're not saying I'm stupid. You know, I always get you know I always get passed over for jobs. I always this. I always that. None of that. We're just we're just not having that in our conversation. So the next thing, does that mean we're supposed to live like with an ostrich with our head in the sand and ignore everything? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, there's nothing wrong. Don't be fearful to discuss what you're going through. Just always put the word of God on it. I'll give you an example. Chris Lamy, if one of our children, uh, uh, you know, is ever has any kind of a symptom on their body or something like that, it'll be, you know what, so-and-so sinuses are messed up, they're clogged up or whatever, and, and, you know, they didn't sleep good last night. But before that conversation is over, there'll be a comma, but we know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still making a way where there is no way, and by the stripes on Jesus' back, everybody in our family is healed. So you're saying exactly what you want to see, not just what you see. You remember Jesus, he looked at a mountain, I was recently in Washington State uh, visiting a, a church that's being uh, a great church that's thriving out there called Resurrection Church, started this year. But there's this beautiful mountain out there called Mount Rainier, and it just stands out in the middle of, of nowhere. And so it would be like Jesus looking at that mountain. He looks over at this mountain, and he says, he says if, if you go to that mountain and you have enough dynamite, you can put it in the sea. No. He said, if you say to that mountain... Be removed and be cast in the sea and don't doubt in your heart. You'll have whatever you say. Over and over and over again, the Bible gives us reference to experiencing what you actually say. So when you decide to change your monologue and dialogue, it will change your very life. It will change every aspect of your life. It will change your marriage. It will change your home. It will change, it will change your business. It will change your philosophy when it comes to believing God. It will change every facet because when you begin to speak, what happens is it's the greatest cycle that God ever created. He said, I want you to speak faith. And what's interesting about speaking, you've been, you then hear it. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing the word. And but the faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So you are speaking the word of God in the atmosphere. You hear it. Now your faith is encouraged. Your faith is equipped. And that's exactly what King David showed us whenever he was in a cave. Nobody could encourage him. There was nobody there to help him. And the Bible says he encouraged himself. So you begin to speak what God has said about you. So, so for instance, if you were to say something like this, and I know you would never say this, especially not now. But you would say, you know, I'm so stupid that, that, that I, miss, I messed up again. Well, here's the problem with that. Just kind of behind the veil, okay? Surface level, let's just not say it. But if you want to know why to not say it, it's because the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. So if the Bible's true, raise your hand if you think the Bible's true, and we have the mind of Christ, when you say, I am stupid, you are saying that the mind of Christ is stupid. And I don't think anybody wants to say that Jesus is stupid. We don't want to say that God's son is unintelligent. So stop degrading what God is saying is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said you're the head and not the tail. Blessed coming in and blessed going out. Blessed in the city and the field. He said you're blessed and you cannot be cursed. 
Now, you don't have to run around and wag your finger at everybody and tell them, you don't understand me, I'm so blessed, you can't, you know, whatever. Don't, don't just be arrogant about it. We're not going to be arrogant about it. But you don't have to say what the world says just because the world says it. You can hold fast. Open your Bible to, to Hebrews chapter 10. Almost done today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews is interesting. It's the coffee shop in heaven. Hebrews. Hebrews 10. Somebody just got it. Praise the Lord. I'm not sure about that preacher. Oh, I get it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 23. Are you getting anything today? This is the kind of stuff that will change your whole life. I'll shout next week. This will change your whole life. You bring your friends and family next week, they're going to get born again. Easter Rewind. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession. Your Bible might say confession. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Your job is not to deliver on the promise. Your job is to hold fast your profession. Hold fast your profession of faith. The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You hold fast to your confession Because your confession is the most powerful thing that you have. It changes your atmosphere. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful. He is faithful that promised. We don't hold on because our ability can do it. We hold on because God promised and he is faithful to deliver. So when you're sick in your body... You hold on to your confession of faith. By his stripes I'm healed. Not because everything has changed immediately. Sometimes that happens. But we hold on because he is faithful who made the promise. Somebody say God is faithful. So we hold on because of his faithfulness. Not because of our current situation or condition. So we hold fast that confession or profession of faith. Because when it comes to healing there are three options. You you will either get healed immediately, eventually, or eternally, but healing is not a question mark in God. Healing is not a maybe when it comes to the things of God. Our job is to hold on because when we make that confession, so think about the ship. He says if, if, if we direct the ship in the correct way, that doesn't mean that the winds won't blow contrary. It means the winds don't dictate where I go. The wind doesn't tell me what to do. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. My circumstances don't tell me what to do. My circumstances don't tell me how to talk. My circumstances don't tell me how to act. So we start getting super conscious about how we speak. And then all of a sudden, because the Bible says you'll have whatsoever you say. Have you ever talked to that person that says, oh my gosh, my life has so much drama. And you're like, duh, keep calling it in. You're like roping it and bringing it home. (laughs) You'll have whatsoever you say. 
So when you say my life is just filled with peace and understanding, all hell could be breaking out all around you, but my life is just filled with peace and joy. And I tell you what, my kids serve God. My grandkids serve God. Life is, I tell you what, things are just changing for the better in Jesus' name. He said, well, I can't see it. But he said, hold fast your profession of And faith is something you can't see. So the moment you can see it, faith's not available. The moment you can see it, faith's not available. Nobody's got to have faith to believe in something they can already see. You remember what Jesus said? Listen, I'm glad you believe, Thomas. He said, but I'm telling you, blessed are those who haven't seen and believed. Holding fast your profession of? Holding fast your profession of? And faith is what you can't see. So we've already understood I'm not going to see it while I'm believing it. And I've decided to be comfortable in that position. I'm holding fast. I'm holding on to my profession of faith because even though I can't see it, I know God is working in the unseen realm, changing things, shifting things, bringing the right people in my life. And here's one, getting rid of the wrong people in my life. Look at your neighbor and just say, he's talking about you. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to need to sit over there next week. You heard the preacher. So we change our profession. Come on, somebody just say change. You shouldn't talk next year the way you talked last year. You're supposed to be going from glory to glory, to glory, no limit, glory, to glory, to glory, so everything, there's things that I I don't say now that I used to say 10 years ago, and I didn't think a thing about it, but things just shift, when you begin to see, man, God is really doing what we say, he gave you the authority, when you speak, the Bible says that you're enveloped in Christ Jesus. Who in here has ever been baptized? Just raise one hand. When you're baptized, the Bible says you're enveloped in Christ. If you've never been baptized or you've had an encounter and you want to be baptized again, I encourage you, in two weeks, we're going to be baptized right here. You can actually text the church the word all in, A-L-L-I-N, to the number 313131, and you can get on the list to be baptized. It's a powerful thing, but you become enveloped in Christ. That means when you speak... And you're praying and you're speaking in the name of Jesus, it has the same authority as Jesus speaking. So when you're saying with the same authority that Jesus said, drama follows me around, it's as if the authority of Jesus just asked drama to show up at your house. I'm going to give you another example. Again, this is just an example. You know what? I tell you what I do, I speak my mind. If I'm thinking it, they're going to hear it, and I don't care what anybody says. Well, good, you're going to have two friends. (laughs) Your dog and your cat. (laughs) Truth be told, one friend. Cats don't like people. I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. That's a true statement. I just say what's on my mind. Then when something comes up, 
you feel an internal obligation to spout off. Because you positioned yourself by your profession earlier. I always have a temper. Everybody knows I have a temper. My daddy had a temper. My grandpa had a temper. My great-grandpa. I just, I just have a temper. Yep. You'll keep it till you die, and you'll give it to your kids. You keep talking like that. Because every giant you don't kill, your children have to. The reason Solomon was able to build the temple is because, giant, because David spent his life killing giants. If the giants had still been in the land, they would have never been able to build the temple on time. We've got to change how we talk to change our atmosphere. You know what? My daddy had a drinking problem. My uncle has a drinking problem. And that's just, it's just, it's just a part of me. No? You can change how you talk. And you'll begin to see it change. You say, you say, what do you mean? You begin to say things like this. I thank God that he gives me peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm not what I used to be. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And you change how you speak and your, your environment begins to adjust. Same thing, though. If you go and it's like 75 degrees in your house and you turn it, like we sleep at 68 with a fan just humming. <laughs> The fan will almost pick the ceiling up. It's like, Whoa. I'm talking cold in our bedroom, praise the Lord. But when you go in there, it's like 75 or whatever, you know, is the day you turn it down, tick, 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 tick. Sometimes it's not instantaneous. Sometimes the atmosphere just starts to shift and you feel the winds blow before the fullness of the promise has showed up. You got to start changing how you talk because when you change how you talk, you change your entire atmosphere. Changes it all. So you begin to change what you say. You, you say, well, I have a temper, whatever, but I really do have a temper, but I really do have a problem. I'm not telling you to stick your head in the sand. I'm telling you to call things that are not as though they were. I'm telling you to line your, your words up with God's Bible. Say, I don't know much of it. Listen to this. The Bible says his will for your life is that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. You can hang all your confessions on those two things. If what you're saying doesn't line up with your life being prosperous in way of uh, uh, relationships, health, emotions, uh, all the things that God has, then, then you can begin to confess things that are in line with that. And you begin to see it change. You begin to change your confession. It changes your whole life. Some of you today, you need to go home and walk into every room in your house. Open the door and say, I declare the blessing in favor of God in this house. The next room, I declare the blessing in favor of God in this house. I declare the peace that passes understanding in this house. You say, well, what will happen? Well, I feel something sometimes. I feel it now. But I don't just say it when I feel it. You go to your, your, your kitchen table and you say, I decree and declare that this table is a place of comfort, not a place of conflict. I thank God that the peace of God saturates this house, this home. You walk into your children's room and you say, I decree and I declare there'll never be one bad dream allowed in this room. I thank God that they sleep in here, but the God that I serve never sleeps and never slumbers and he's looking over his word to perform it. 
you begin to make these declarations over your home. And then you'll walk in one day and you'll be like, whoa, feels good in here. That's his presence that is brought about when the people of God that have been given the anointing, the power, and the authority of his name begin to call things that they desire rather than just what they see. You're not a dumb weather rock. You're a sanctified, anointed, blood-bought thermostat that can change the atmosphere. You walk in and you just shift everything. You say, well, what, what, how do I start? You got to start now. You got to start today. I'm going to give you a confession to use every day in just a few minutes. But, but you go to your house and you just make that confession and you just declare it. Let me, let me just say this. I do it all the time, okay? I've been living for God pretty much my whole life. I come from a great Christian family. You know, I was taught a lot of these principles, a lot of these principles I discovered in the Word. But all these different things, sometimes it still feels weird to me. The reason it feels weird is because you're doing it and you are in the world. But you're not of the world, you're just in the world. So you can make those declarations regardless of how you feel because we're not living by how we feel. You know the scripture, there's one, you may have heard it, I live by faith, not by, I don't live by what I see. You don't live, you're a Christian, you don't live by what you see. You don't, you don't live by what you see, you, you, your experience, and that's not what you live by. You live by faith. We live off what we don't see. So you go in your home and you say, I just, I just speak blessing and favor in this house. Husbands and wives, you go to your bedroom and you say, I just speak, I just speak no strife in this room right at all. I thank God that we're more in love now than we've ever been. Come on, you go into the pantry. You just lay hands on those, those Cheerios and those Frosted Flakes. You say, I rebuke every calorie right now. Right. Open that freezer, that cookie two-step. Oh, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. So I just thank God right now. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. literally changes your whole house. Some of you need to go home today and first thing you need to do after you go eat some KFC. You know why KFC is so good? Because Somebody please explain that one to the one that got the other joke late. <laughs> Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what these target cards are for. Next week is Easter Rewind here at our church and where we celebrate Easter again. I know it's not Easter, but we celebrate the resurrection again. And we've been praying and believing God where all these names are in this box. 
If you have somebody that you know is not saved or you know they need a touch from God or they just need to be in an atmosphere like this, how many of you can just sense God even, even now? I sense Him in the atmosphere. Sometimes you just need to be in the atmosphere of the things of God. If that's you, before you leave, you can write down those names and then make sure and invite them to church. Everybody who's got a name on a card there, bring them to church next week. I'm going to preach a sermon. I'm calling Blood, Sweat, Respect. I'm going to talk about the blood of Jesus. I'm going to talk about the sweat off his brow. And I'm going to talk about what respect really means in the body of Christ. The only respect that ever did, the only respect that will ever matter to you is what does God think about me? Everything else is just happenstance. The next week it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. He said, he said, don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Because when we get together, now iron starts to sharpen iron. And it says, provoke one another to good works. So the Bible doesn't say don't provoke. It says don't provoke to anger. Don't provoke to frustration. If you're married, you know exactly what to say to set them off. If you have children even, you know what to say to set them off. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to frustration. Look, if they're already frustrated, don't be throwing gasoline on that. They'll just get in more trouble later, and then you're like, oh, what happened? Well, you're just provoking them to wrath. The Bible says, daddies, don't provoke your children to wrath. Well, they have to listen. Yeah, I know. We have to raise them. I get it. My house is a house of discipline. It's not, you know, we don't play any games about it. But you know when you're poking them, don't poke them. And this this is what I'll just say this. Especially not in front of people. Don't embarrass your children. Don't embarrass them in front of people. If you have to correct them in front of people, that uh, you know, occasionally I understand that. But don't ever, don't ever make them feel less than in front of somebody. You want to make them feel like they're the head and not the tail, because that's all God's trying to do with you. And you're the representation of what God is like to them. You're their parent. He's our father. So they'll filter what God's like by how you act to them. So if you poke them and keep provoking them to frustration and anger before it's over, a preacher like me is going to have to wash out all that terrible doctrine out of their life. That's why I like New Heights kids so much because the whole thing is let them know two things. Number one, Jesus made you. Number two, he wants to be your best friend for life. And they're crying on their face power of God flows in that place because we don't want to provoke them to anger and frustration so what he's saying is when we get together listen we need to be provoking one another to good works we need to be encouraging one another you know that person that calls you and you see their name on the phone and it's like it's like Jake pops up on my phone (laughs) just kidding and you just know They're just going to complain for 10 minutes. We're not mad at them, but that's what's going to happen. And you you know how depleted that makes you feel emotionally? And you just feel like you're just trying to pull them out of a ditch every time you talk to them? Does that help us see the power of our words a little bit? So now we're not going to talk about it and point the finger at them. What we're going to do is we're going to recognize that and say, okay, Am I provoking somebody to good works? Or am I depleting somebody? What am I doing? Am I provoking them to love one another and unto good works? Am I walking into my home and saying, I thank God 
that God gave me you. I thank God that you have been such a wonderful mother to our children. You are, you have been, you have been a wonderful wife, and I thank God to be married to you. Guys, you want to see your wife respond? Talk like that a little bit. Works like a charm. I ain't even playing. God wasn't joking when he gave us these opportunities. It, it changes everything. You know, most people that get divorced, it starts with some words. Words are the most powerful thing we have. And just changing our profession, our confession, can change everything. Give God one big hand of praise right now. I'm going to go through Psalm 23, okay? And then we're going to all confess it together over our life. But I'm going to go through it real quick just to kind of itemize um, what that confession really can do. And what I'm challenging you to do is every single morning of this week, and you'll probably do it the rest of your life, but every single morning of this week, I want you to read Psalm 23 out loud. It's very short. Uh, You can read it in whatever translation Bible that you have. I have King James uh, because LeBron's a good basketball player. (laughs) It's not by him. Okay, he didn't write it. (laughs) I got a signed copy. (laughs) LBJ. I like it because it it was translated several years ago, and it's one translation away from the original text um, and so I and, I and I grew up memorizing it that's why I read it mostly that's what I grew up memorizing so it speaks to me very clearly but but you read it in whatever whatever version you have but every morning I want you to confess I want you to get up and just read it out loud the first morning it might sound really weird and if you're married you might want to do it together uh, read you know read it out loud together if not you know you don't have to maybe you take one of those uh, post-it notes and stick it on your mirror so you don't forget when you're brushing your teeth as soon as you get done you know confess just confess it over your life what will happen is you'll begin to see before Tuesday you'll begin to see your atmosphere shift and the first thing that shifts in an atmosphere is our perspective because once your perspective starts to change now the atmosphere starts to move things start to shift and to come into alignment that you weren't expecting So let me just read it real quick, and then we're going to read it together. Then we're all going to go eat fried chicken. Praise the Lord. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That confesses confidence in who your God is. So you're making the confession that I am confident that my shepherd knows how to handle situations that shows up. And I will not be in lack. You're conf- you said, well, do you understand, preacher? I'm having a real hard time right now. I get it. But you don't want to talk about just what you can see. You want a profession that has some faith in it. I shall not want. I won't have any lack in my life. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. That is a confession of peace in your life. So verse 1, confidence and supply Verse 2, I'm confessing the peace of God over my life. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And I love this part. For his name's sake. So what he's saying is, he is restoring and guiding me. And he's doing so, and he's even put his own name on it. You know, when you sign something, that means I'm, I'm on the line for it. When I sign something, I'm on the line. He's doing it with his name on the line. He's not going to fail you. And you're making the confession that it's not hanging on Brian's name. It's hanging on who he is. For his name's sake, I'm going to see him in my life, restoring and guiding me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You're confessing that even if all hell were to rage against me, I'm not going to lose my confidence, not because I'm not in a valley. I'm not going to lose my confidence because he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. He's always with me. We, we, we go out in the field. Matter of fact, we were in the field yesterday and the kids were like playing in a pond and whatever. And I'm sitting there and, and one of our longhorns comes walking up. And they're big. They got these great big longhorns and they're just awesome and I love them. And my little girl who's six, as soon as the longhorn gets close, she wants to get close to me. Because it can be kind of scary. That big old cow with big old horns right next to you, six years old. But she didn't get comfortable Because the longhorn left, the longhorn stayed there. She got comfortable because she was close to her daddy. You see, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Not because the evil runs off instantly every time. I don't feel evil. I don't fear evil because God doesn't leave me. He's right here, whatever. If the devil knocks on your door, just slam in his face. Say, God's here, whatever. You don't fear evil because God's with you, not because evil doesn't exist, not because the winds don't blow contrary from time to time, but we're not scared because God is with us. Just say, God is with me. That's a great confession right there. A rod and my staff, they comfort me. You've made the confession that you're not going to be afraid. You've made the confession that the, the utensils, the, the tools, and the hand of the shepherd are sufficient to keep the enemy at bay and guide you where you need to go. It's a powerful confession. Verse 5. I love this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When you recognize an adversary, the buffet is about to show up. Your enemy does more for you than he does against you. And he doesn't even know it. Because in the presence of your enemies, God promises to be your vindicator. So the confession you're making is, I don't have to seek vengeance. Just because they did me wrong doesn't mean I have to do them wrong. God is my vindicator. He will cause me to eat in the presence of my enemies. You don't understand. They're trying to pass me over for the job. Just get ready. Because God's about to do something special in your life. In the presence of your enemies. I wish they'd leave me alone. I wish God would feed me in front of them. Oh, well, it's just just so bad. They're attacking me on all sides. They're just going to see me enjoying what God is doing in my life. I don't have to seek my own vengeance. 
presence. I don't have to be my own vindicator. In the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table for it. He anoints my head with oil. The Bible says the anointing of God will destroy the yokes. You're declaring that nothing is going to stay on me that God is breaking off of me. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. You're declaring increase in prosperity in your life. Some of y'all to write this down. Success is not a sin. Success is not a sin. When your cup begins to run over, it's because God's putting so much on you, He wants you to be able to put it on somebody else. Your children, your children's children. Powerful confession. Verse 6, this is the last verse in this chapter. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me just this week. When I feel like it, when I don't mess up, when I get it right, when I don't cuss anybody out in traffic. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You're confessing your future. What's your future look like? Jeremiah 29 said, I know the plans I have for you. He's got phenomenal plans to increase you for good and not evil. To give you a great end. See, I thank God He's the author of my faith. I'm thankful that He saved me. He didn't hang it on you. He hung it on him. The government is on his shoulders. You're making a confession that says, my future is going to be filled with goodness and mercy. One confession I like to make, and I'll get back to this in just a second, is I say, favor's running me down like a rabid dog. I can't get away from the favor of God. Everything I touch turns to gold. Everything I put my hand to prospers. The blessing and favor of God overtakes me. I'm blessed, and I love this. I cannot be cursed. I got a friend of mine who does a lot of ministry with, uh, like, people from the occult. And a lot of people that have come out of that. And... Uh, it's funny because he tells me stories. He said when, when they get in it, they said they said they very seldom do they actually attempt a mature person that's in that witchcraft side of life. They try to put something on a mature Christian because it always comes back on them. You cannot be cursed. It doesn't say you're blessed and you won't be cursed. It said you cannot be cursed. When you walk in, the situation just changed. When you came on the scene, the scene just altered a little bit. You begin to walk in, things just start to shift. Not arrogant, not pompous. But you just walk in and all of a sudden things just become become different. Why? It's the anointing of God. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I just like talking to you. I feel better when I get done talking to you. That's because goodness and mercy are chasing me down. Praise the Lord. It's a shift. It comes with your profession. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Last part of it. So he he confesses his, his future. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Then he says this. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Many of you are going to make that commitment and confession today. Church is going to stop becoming a side item in your life. You're going to make the confession, no, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When that calendar flips around Sunday, you don't have to guess where I'll be. I'll be in the house of the Lord. Why? Because I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why am I going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because I'm not going to forsake the gathering together to provoke one another to good works and to love. Why do I want to do that? Because then all of a sudden my profession of faith grows. And all of a sudden my profession of faith grows. Why is that important? Because you can't please God without faith. Well, why do I need to please God? Because when you begin to please God, you begin to see God move in your life more than you ever dreamed. Dwelling in the house of the Lord putting your hand to the plow in the house of God, joining a a life group and telling your story to somebody that they may be encouraged about what God has done in your life, being in a place where iron begins to sharpen iron. You begin to dwell in the house of the Lord, and now all of a sudden you get in this atmosphere and you leave out of there and go, I don't know why, I just feel so much different. That's because the Spirit of Almighty God is in this place, and He does surgery when nobody else is looking. You just think I'm just I'm just going to church. No, I'm just I'm not just going to church. I'm going to the place where people love people and point them to Christ, and God responds to that. You're prophesying your life. You're declaring your life. You know, New Testament prophecy doesn't look doesn't look like a bunch of doom and gloom. The Bible says New Testament prophecy is edifying and exhorting, building up, recharging. Provoking one another to good works. Provoking one another to love. Don't you just feel love in here right now? I feel love in this place. It's a, it's a different thing. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. It's not going to be a place. Listen, you're, you're not going to be a CEO Christian. Christmas and Easter only Christian. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. I like to... Sleep in on Sunday. Sleep in a different day. This is the house of God. It's the things of that you make these declarations, and then all of a sudden, what happens? The same way you used to say, I always speak my mind, and then you felt the urge to do it. You change your profession, and now your profession begins to pull you in that direction. I'm kind, I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm bold as a lion, I'm, I'm full of faith, I don't doubt when I hear the things of God, I'm, I'm quick to forgive and slow to anger. You start making these confessions and all of a sudden your confession starts pulling you in that direction. You start trying to live up to what you said you were. Don't you remember having to do that when you were a kid? I'm not scared to jump off that. All right, Billy, jump off of it. Uh-oh. But you said it, now you feel like you got to do it. But when you make that profession of faith, the same thing happens. Come on, stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching. It's the kind of stuff. It won't change part of your life. It'll change every facet of your very life. Before we make this confession, bow your head and close your eyes because there's a confession It's very important for the author side of your faith, the beginning.
If you've never made Jesus your Lord, He died for you, rose from the dead for you. You say, that's me. I, I sense Him now and I know I need to give my life to Him. Maybe you would say it like this. Maybe you would say, you know what? I used to walk strong with Him, preacher, but something happened and I'm backslidden. I'm like the prodigal son and I need to come home. I need to give my life back to Jesus. If that's you and you say, I've never given my heart to Him or just need to return my heart. When I count to three, I want you to lift your hand real tall. Nobody's looking around. And we're going to pray together. And he's going to wrap you in his loving arms, forgive you of everything that you've ever done, and start you fresh and new today. If that's you, you've never said yes to Jesus, or you need to come back to him. When I count to three, lift your hand real high. One, two, three, lift your hand. Keep him high, keep him high, keep him high. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. Is there anyone else? Jesus died and rose from the dead for my victory. I'm a Christian now. I turn from sin and I turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. If you made that decision today, listen, it's a powerful decision. Your next step is to be water baptized. If you've never been water baptized, you can text to the number I told you about earlier or stop by the light wall after service. We'll get you all the information about that. We're about to have a baptism service. Now, I want to read this confession together. And this is what we're going to do, every one of us. We're going to do it every morning this week. So if you could put Psalm 23 back up there. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever in Jesus name come on give God a shout today every morning read this over yourself over your family watch God move in your life let me ask one more question before we leave if you're here today and you say man I need to make the confession the profession to join this church Maybe today's your first time and you've been coming for a while, but you've never made it official. The Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in God's courts. It's our goal to see you flourish in this life and the next. There's not a long process to join the church. If you want to join today, we're just asking that you would, when I count to three, just lift your hand and let us celebrate that great decision with you. If you say, I want to join New Heights, I want to help New Heights love people and point them to Christ. When I count to three, lift your hand real tall. One, two, three. Lift it real tall. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You know, those of you who are joining the church, I'd love to meet you. I'll be right up here by these stairs after service. Also, if it's your first time here, I'd love to just say hi. And I'll be right up here. I'd love to say hello to you and your family. But when you're joining a church like this, the Bible says every grace that's on this house comes on your family. So you'll experience grace. You'll experience peace. You'll experience increase. It's a phenomenal decision. And we just celebrate that with you today. Can we give them one more hand, y'all? great decision make sure and bring your friends and family next week it's going to be powerful September 16th Easter Rewind it's just going to be a blowout service day we're going to see lots and lots of salvations it's going to be wonderful somebody say amen to that this week we're going to change how we talk and our atmosphere is going to shift somebody say that's me Father, I ask you to bless your people coming in. Bless them going out. Bless them in the city and the field, this day and every day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you'd like more information about Pastor Brian or New Heights Church, visit newheightschurch.info and be sure to follow Pastor Brian on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, thank you so much for liking and sharing.